Hi, I'm James Verdeer, and welcome to the American Institute of Biological Sciences Bioscience Talks, which is a forum for integrating the life sciences. On the second Wednesday of each month, we discuss the latest bioscience publications. And as a reminder, if you'd like to read more, point your browser to bioscience.oxfordjournals.org. And today's special bonus episode is a little bit of a departure from what we normally do. I'm joined by Dr. Tom Smith, who's an associate professor at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And although he is a prior bioscience author, and I will link to his article in the show notes, I wanted to talk with him about something else today. Dr. Smith is a bear behavior expert, and I hoped he could shed some light on the recent grizzly attack on Todd Orr, which was in Montana earlier this week. That story has stirred up a lot of interest and a lot of controversy about how best to avoid or handle aggressive bear encounters, and it seemed like a great time to hear from an expert on the topic. I've also included some links to Dr. Smith's earlier work in the show notes, so let's get straight to the interview. Uh, Dr. Smith, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure. Okay, and uh, you know, I, I wanted to get into the uh, incident with Todd Orr in Montana in a little bit, but before we did that, I was hoping you could give us just sort of a general overview of why bear attacks happen, you know, why, why do bears attack people? And, you know, I realize that may vary greatly by species. So um, if you could just get us started with that, that'd be great. Well, I think that generally the vast majority of bear attacks in North America, and it, and it does vary by species, but with North American bears, the vast majority of them, number one, occur with brown bears or grizzly bears. They far and away um, are the bear to be concerned about. Second would be American black bears, and then uh, even further down the line would be polars. In, in the case of the grizzly bear, the vast majority of attacks are precipitated unwittingly uh, or otherwise by people who um, somehow surprise the animal and its apparent defense is a good offense. So they express this explosive, aggressive uh, power. You know, it's, it's something that's evolved uh, as an intraspecific way of saying, get off my back, get out of here. Because, you know, when you're an apical predator, the the um, largest threat to you would be another bear. So what we're seeing is bears responding to incursions into their personal space by people, and they get treated. And I mean, bears aren't stupid. They know we're not humans, or that we're not that we are not bears. But but the the only set of tools they have is how to deal with other bears. So they explosively uh, make the point. Um, and, and that, excuse me, that doesn't nearly apply for blacks or polars. Most of the attacks of those two tend to be of the other extreme, which is predatory. And there are predatory grizzly bear attacks as well. But those are very, very slight. However, we still have to keep that in mind that a bear may not be surprised. It may not be weak, sick, old, infirm, or hungry. It just might be a predator trying to find a meal. Okay, so you do have these occasional predatory attacks, but most of the time it's someone who's moving through the woods and they surprise a bear and the bear responds in a way that you would expect them to respond to almost anything. Well, I think anything uh, that surprises them, which is, you know, you, I, I think in this sort of reflexive, um, ingrained uh, genetic, um, genetically programmed response, I don't think, I mean, I'm just guessing it's not a, 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 a thought process. They just reflexively respond, and that is to the worst threat, which would be another bear, which would kill them. 
So that's why there's such fury. That's also why when we look at bear attacks in close detail, um, some people have said the bear almost seemed to, you know, to trying to restrain itself, to, to dial back once it realized that it was unleashing this on something other than another bear. As strange as that comment seems, um, you know, I think all of us have kind of irritated a dog, like a, you know, a domestic dog, and they nip and they bite, but they don't do it with full fury. And I think that's been reported by a number of people about bear attacks is that somewhere in the midst of this, they they override that reflex and they start going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, this isn't a bear. And that's why this guy like Todd Orr, as soon as he started playing dead with this grizzly, it stopped and it sat there and evaluated and then give them enough time, they'll just walk away. So clearly the motivation is not predation or they just you know, begin to feed, but they don't. They leave in in the very vast majority of these cases. Okay, so you're you're provoking this sort of evolutionary genetic response, and you know the idea, at least if you find yourself in one of those situations, is to um, you know play dead, give the bear a chance to think it over, and move on. Well, that's certainly a response if you don't have any deterrence. Um, in his case, he did have bear spray, and he also had a firearm. And um, as you know, and you're going to get into it, the bear spray didn't perform as he had wanted. Um, but but in most cases, I and and for clarification, playing dead is an option that is down the list of priorities. It's not your go-to first thing with any bear, and uh, so your first thing would be to ready your deterrent and to stand your ground. And if the bear continues to press you, then you spray it or shoot it, whichever it may be. But the point is, uh, you would never, ever play dead for a grizzly bear. Let's say it's out there 100 yards or something, and it's closing in. You would never lay down. Um, And uh, just like a fighter pilot, you know, they may have an ejection seat handle, but just because some alarm went off on the control panel in their jet, they don't eject. In other words, you do a bunch of stuff before that. First of all, evaluate the bear, see what it's doing. Maybe it's just trying to go somewhere, get out of its way. If it if it's tracking you, then there, number one, there's no way you're going to outrun the thing. I mean, it, you can't do that. So so uh, just stand your ground, ready your deterrent, and if it crosses that line, then you let them have it. If by chance, as in Orr's case, the deterrent didn't perform and it knocks you down, then for grizzly brown bears, the best thing is to play dead that has saved a lot of people's lives. Okay, you know, I think this is a good time to talk about it, but I was hoping to get your take on why his deployment of bear spray may not have worked. Um, and just for the record, bear spray is a deterrent that you know comes in about a 12-ounce canister. It shoots about 30 feet. It's a pepper spray, so capsaicin-based, very powerful, uh, for use directly on aggressive bears. And in your article that's linked in the show notes, it seems to work almost every single time. Uh, yet in this case it didn't, and I'm just hoping to get your opinion on why that might be. Well, I said it worked in, uh, as far as preventing injury, it worked in 98%. So unfortunately, Todd Orr is in the 2%, and so that's consistent with what I've seen. We're not getting reports like Orr's anywhere, and so, I mean, there have, but there have been a few. It's not like the first time we've ever seen that a bear has injured a person who deployed spray. It's just extremely rare. And so that's important to keep in mind. Now, on the other hand, and maybe you've looked at this paper of mine, where I looked at the history of firearms use 
in Alaska, um, you know, I looked at 444 individuals, and out of those, 76% were safely protected. But but think about it, 76%. That means 24% did not get the desired result, which is to stop an aggressive bear. In bear spray, it was 2%. So we know there's people like or out there. Um, and why does it fail? You know, unless we had multi-angle video cameras, who knows? I mean, you know, the spray may not have reached the bear. Uh, the bear might have just gotten enough, you know, a whiff of it. But as far as it goes, the chemicals in that can don't have anything to do with the thought process in the bear. They are neurologic, or uh, neurologically and physiologically, um, uh, you know, uh, impacting the animal such that it can't open its eyes, it's choking, and it's got this intense burning feeling all over. So the can of spray instantly changes the bear's priorities from I'm going to take out this potential threat to I've got a crisis right here right now, I'm on fire and can't breathe, and it's during that interlude the human goes, well, I think I'm out of here right now. So it, it, it does work, um, but nobody's claiming it's 100%. And unfortunately for Todd, it, 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 he was the two percent failure. Yeah. Okay, great. So your takeaway here is it that you know this this indicates any other phenomenon other than it's an extremely rare occurrence, um, and yep. it's certainly no reason to revise you know the the standard practices that people would have when they're in the backcountry. Oh, absolutely not. And I think that uh, I've said this many times. Um, the thing about bear spray that's you know, and I I mean the manufacturers, I have no connection with them at all. Um, so there's, I, you know, I don't have anything to gain by promoting it, but the thing of it is the statistics are impressive and it does three things for you that I think are important for people to understand. Number one, it gives you a reason not to run. Now I, I've spent a lot of time around bears and I don't care how much time you spend around bears. When you turn a corner in the trail and you're 10 feet from a grizzly bear, it takes a lot of focus to not run because your legs are going before your mind even, I mean, you just can't stop them. It's, it's, it's our innate reflex. But that innate reflex doesn't serve as well with something like a grizzly bear for the simple reason they can easily catch you. And in fact, in another paper I'm working on right now, I looked at uh, 55 cases in Alaska. You know, I looked at over um, 685 bear attacks. In 65 of those, or 50, let's see, 54 of those, of all the things people could have done, you know, from, you know, shoot the bear, spray the bear, whatever, uh, 54 of them decided that they would run. And in all but, uh, let's see, four of those, or in other words, in 50 of them, the bears chased them and took them down. So I don't think we need any high-powered statistics here to come to the conclusion that is not a good choice when dealing with a bear. So my point being in all of this is that when you stand your ground, You've, you're making a statement in their world in, that they understand, which is it says, I'm not submissive, I'm not subordinate. If you deal with me, you know, it's going to cost you. And, and bears don't get to be old bears by doing stupid stuff. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, that's my own corollary to Darwin's you know, theory. <laughs> <laughs> that's my own interpretation. But, but the point is, they don't. And yeah. so what happens is that gives them pause, and a lot of times that's all it takes. Secondly, and I'll make this very quick, 
that when you depress the lever, that explosion of expanding cloud and that hiss, it's shocking to these animals. I've seen it many times, and I've seen it where the spray never even reaches them, and they turn and, they turn and run before it even gets there. And thirdly, the chemicals are very obnoxious. They're not permanently damaging, but... Um, you know, it they you know it causes blepharospasms. That's the involuntary closure of the eyelids, uh, bronchospasms. It causes intense coughing, burning, and so all of a sudden that bear has a serious problem to see them through the next ten minutes, let alone chase this human. So, so I think on those three things, I'd have a lot of confidence, and I do have a lot of confidence that it's a great tool in bear country. And unfortunately for Todd. Like I said, I would, you know, I think he says, actually, if I looked at the account, that the bear ran through the cloud. But, you know, I mean, that may not have been enough, you know, to, to stop it. I mean, you, some people have said they had to hit them square in the face and unload the can to stop them. So, you know, I think it's in the nuances of the reporting there. But, but it, you know, I mean, the man was injured and he had hoped not being. It's a terrible thing for sure. Yeah. But of course, very fortunate that he survived. Um, that kind of gives us a, a basic idea of you know yeah. what to do in in the case of an, a grizzly bear encounter. It's stand tall, uh, prepare yeah. to deploy, pre- prepare to deploy spray if you've got it. Um, yeah, which you should have it. I, I assume I assume that's a general recommendation anytime one's going into grizzly country. Well, I think you know that's a really good point, and I, I I've got I think every bear safety book that's been written. Not a single one of them, and I'm not trying to make myself sound more, you know, whatever, but I'm just saying not a single one of them says in there, rule number one, it's irresponsible to go in bear country without a deterrent. I mean, it's irresponsible. And in a similar way, people go, well, you know, I mean, what's the odds? Well, I don't know. What are the odds of getting in a car wreck? I've driven a car for 40 years and never had a wreck. Why bother with the seatbelt? Well, even I wouldn't do that. It's like because in the extremely rare situation where somebody crosses the center line and hits me, I need that to see me through to the next day. So click, it's there. Why not use it? Similarly, why would you not carry something for the extremely rare situation when you're facing a bear that you didn't plan to face, nor the bear planned to face you, and it happens all the time. And when I look at the hundreds and hundreds of bear attacks that I've looked at and studied, the one thread that winds through all of them is none of them wanted to be in my database. So, um, and they didn't expect to have a bear encounter. So, you know, sure, if you want to just play the odds, you can walk around with no bear deterrent, but why would you do that? That's just not, that's not our best self, I don't think. That makes sense to me. And one thing I'm also kind of wondering, um, because most, you know, probably most of our listeners, and I think most people who, um, you know, are involved in backcountry recreation are going to be more likely to encounter a black bear than a grizzly bear. Uh, Would that same recommendation hold true for those bears, even though, um, you know, obviously they attack with less frequency? Well, they do, but I think it only takes one mauling to ruin your whole day. Yeah. What I say, and especially here in Utah, where people treat bears, black bears, like 300-pound chipmunks, I tell them that, look, on the mountains here, there's about three to 4,000 black bears. Okay, the fact of the matter is most of them don't want anything to do with you. That's great. We don't care about those bears. But I can absolutely promise you that in the mix, there are bears that for no other reason 
when they see you, they are thinking prey and they will try to kill you. Are there very many of them? No. But if it's your unlucky day, you're going to meet that bear. And we don't have to, like I said, we don't have to invoke some pathology that it's sick, that it's old, that it's a bad bear year, blah, blah, blah. It's a predator that maybe thinks it can take you. You better have a way to say no to it or you're going to have a really bad day. Okay. And one more black bear behavioral question, if you're willing to indulge me. Um, You know, the mother bear protecting her cubs idea, uh, which may have played into the Todor case in some way. Uh, You know, perhaps she was on higher alert or something like that. But you often hear that about black bears as well. Yet, when I've looked over the databases, I've never actually seen it. And I'm just wondering, does that ever actually happen with black bears, the mother bear protecting her cubs phenomenon? No, it's, it's very rare. No. What they'll do is they'll send the cubs up a tree and they'll all just, or they'll all just disappear in the bush. But getting between no heck no you can actually take the cubs away from a mother bear in a black bear you try that with a grizzly and that'll probably be the last thing you ever do so they are behaviorally very different and and what's really interesting just as we're on a on a little side note here um ask people and you'll hear that polar bears are perhaps the most dangerous of all bears they stalk people and kill them well, they've done a really lousy job of it since in the 150 years of history we have. They've killed a total of nine people in North America. And when I've analyzed those incidents, half or more of them were asking for it by doing things that predisposed them to um, to the bear's uh, fury. And, and uh, you know, so polar bears are even less inclined. And why? Well, polar bears don't have a search image of humans as food. Can they eat humans? They can, but is it innate to them? No, it isn't. Unless you put on a seal outfit and lay on the on the ice, you're not going to have a problem with them. Okay, so the advice is for polar bears worry perhaps a little less than you might otherwise, and I don't think most of us are worrying very much. Uh, and for black bears, it's less about the uh, sow with cubs and more about the perhaps large male predatory bear. Well, even the small bears, you know, we had an in- interesting incident in Alaska. I'll keep it short, but a guy named Steve Rouse, it's written up. But Steve, uh, you know, landed his float plane and screwed up a, a, a little small pond, you know, the the embankment to find a campsite. So he was looking around, all of a sudden he saw a movement behind some alders and it startled him. And then all he said, is, my next thought was, oh, thank heavens, it's just a small black bear. That thing rounded the bush, and he said it's, when it stood full height, it was eye to eye. He guessed maybe 100, 110 pounds. The next thought, as the bear reached around him and tried to pull his face in to chew it off, was he said, uh, I cannot, could not believe how incredibly strong that little animal was. And the next thought was he didn't have his sheath knife, which is normally on his hip, or he could have ended it there. And then it unfolded in this horrific mauling. Uh, which ended with, um, you know, him swimming, him tumbling down the embankment, getting in the lake. And it's just horrible. So badly, he couldn't fly his plane out of there. But my point being, even a 100-pound black bear is, um, is, is formidable. We're no match for that. So size uh, in those animals is not a good indicator of potential threat. Got it. And what's your take on bear bells? You know, I know that a lot of them are sold, and, you know, I hear a lot of ringing and dinging when I'm walking around in the woods. Uh, but do those things actually work? Do they do anything? Uh, well, you know, let's put it this way. I did experiments with bear bells. Um, the issue with bear bells is this. So I, I did, I've got a paper on this <laughs> coming out too, where I, uh, I expose bears to lots of sounds. These are naive bears. 
in remote areas, maybe some interaction with people, but certainly not much of any. I mean, we're talking very remote. So, so I would uh, tie, I tie actual bear bells to a bush to where I could pull it with a monofilament line, make it jingle. And I was uh, about oh, 50 meters away up on a cliff in a blind. So I wasn't in harm's way and I certainly wasn't visually or scent uh, capable. You know, they couldn't smell me up there. At least I didn't think so. So the bears had walked down this, uh, you know, trail along a salmon stream. That's why I knew there'd be plenty of action. Salmon were in and the bears come along one every two or three minutes, you know. So the first time I deployed the bell, um, it was a mom and two cubs. And I thought for sure, oh, God, they're just going to jump straight up in the air, (laughs) you know, like, like it would to a human. And I mean, to tell you, they didn't even, they didn't show any outward sign that they'd heard anything worth paying attention to. They didn't reorient. They certainly didn't turn their head. Their ears didn't even shift. I thought, my gosh, uh, that was pretty interesting. So I sat there and I thought, well, just to make sure it's not a family of deaf bears, I picked a stick up and snapped it. Again, I was, uh, you know, about 30 meters away. That, that female instantly planted her feet, swiveled and looked in my direction. She didn't see me because I was in a blind, but she, she was looking right at me. And the two cubs were, had jumped up to her rump and were standing on their hind legs. They, they all heard it. They all reacted uh, very strongly. So I sat down, and, and I think what came out of that experience in trying to understand how bears process stimuli from the environment, and I did this with sense, and I did it with visual cues. Um, in the mix were always ones associated with humans, human scent, human visual cues, and human sounds. And then I also had uh, <clears throat> other sounds that I thought would be biologically significant and ones that I thought would have no significance at all. And so what I found was that bears are like the rest of us. Uh, they have limited attention. They can't process every stimulus coming in. And basically, until they learn something has meaning, it doesn't have meaning. It's so you're better off basically shouting, hey, bear, every once in a while than you are with bear bells. Well, that works. And I know that bear bells don't for all bears. So I'm going to go with the hey, bear, or clap my hands. And, you know, and, and I, I tell people make sounds appropriately. For God's sake, don't be singing opera tunes as you go through an open meadow where I'll be a problem you have to deal with. But um, just make it appropriately. As you're, you know, you got a good view shed. There's no reason to worry about it. But when you come down, let's say you're in Alaska, you're descending to a salmon stream, I make a lot of noise because I know there's a good probability of a bear in there. Okay, so we've talked a lot about bear biology, bear behavior, and various deterrence techniques. And there was one other approach uh, to dealing with bears that I wanted to discuss, and not so much because it relates to their biology specifically, but uh, more so because it's a source of controversy in a lot of backcountry recreation communities, and that's firearms. Um, And I hope to get your take. You know, are firearms something that people should carry in the backcountry? Are they a necessity, uh, or are they an unnecessary burden and something that actually endangers people? You know, what's your take on that? Well, the the thing of it is, uh, um, you know, even people who rec- who recreationally shoot are in no way prepared for a bear attack. And I say that with respect, but also with experience. And the thing of it is, it's one thing to shoot paper targets. It's quite another thing when the targets jump down off the rack and chase you through the woods and threaten to chew you up. Um, that's a whole different kind of game shooting. And it's uneven terrain. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, seconds. Uh, you know, just, you know, it unfolds in just microseconds. 
and then people have to get that firearm pointed and deploy it in such a way that it stops the bear. Do you have the right caliber? Um, if it's a high-powered rifle, it's got a bolt action. That's going to get in the way. I mean, by the time you raise it up, back, down, and then take off the safety, it's over. The bear's already on you. A lot of them are scoped. So instinctually, many people have said, all I saw was a bundle of fur in the, in the, uh, you know, in the spotting scope before it ran me over. So I think that the mechanics of firearms makes them very difficult to use effectively. However, on the very strong plus side, firearms have saved people who are competent. They can end a bear encounter that bear spray can't end. So some folks have had bears loiter around their camp and, you know, I call it menacingly curious bears and they've sprayed them and they disappear, but then they come back and, you know, and at some point people just say enough is enough. If you got a gun, boom, we're done with that bear rather than risk a midnight encounter or something. But so firearms are a mixed bag. I think that if you're competent and you know what you're doing and you feel experienced, they're great. Um, and yet, even if I was a, a, a person with a firearm, I'd still carry bear spray. Who wants to kill a bear? Yeah, that's a very good point. And I had one last question that I forgot to ask earlier, and it was on the Todd Orr situation. Um, and it was a behavior question just I noted that the bear came back and attacked him again. And I was just wondering if that was a common occurrence or if that was anomalous in any way. No, no, that happens a lot. Um, The only thing I'm not sure was going through his head. He had a gun. I'll tell you what, after a bear ripped me up one side and down the other and bear spray failed, I think I'd be walking out with a gun with one in the chamber and my finger on the trigger. And maybe he was just out of sorts. But he said he heard it coming and it hit him again. It thought, man, I'd have two bullets in it before it got to me. And I, so I, easy for me to say, I wasn't there. The man was clearly in dire straits. But it, my first thing would be, okay, the bear spray didn't work. Lock and load. <laughs> Definitely sound advice for anyone who finds him or herself in such a situation. Uh, I think you've given a lot of great advice today and filled in a lot of information on why bears behave the way they do. So let's leave it there. Dr. Smith, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, you're welcome, James. Anytime. And that concludes this episode of Bioscience Talks. Just a reminder, the journal Bioscience is published by Oxford University Press on behalf of the American Institute of Biological Sciences and is made possible by the support of our members and donors. And just one quick show note, next week's episode will come out on Thursday rather than Wednesday. Thanks and talk to you next time.